Hello and welcome to Disseminate the Computer Science Research Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Wardby. A reminder that if you enjoy the show, please do consider supporting us through buying your coffee. It really helps us to keep making the show. Today, I'm joined by Con Gwynn, who will be telling us everything we need to know about DTOC, high-performance multi-region transactions at scale. Kong is a PhD student at the University of Maryland. Kong, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jack. I'm very happy to be here. Great stuff. So let's jump straight in with some questions then. So tell us a little bit more about yourself and how you became interested in database research. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I am currently a PhD student from the University of Maryland. And during my undergrad, uh, I had the opportunity to work on a research project on time series data mining. But at the time, I wasn't sure whether I would pursue a PhD or not. So uh, after my graduation, I started to work in the industry for a little over a year as a software engineer. And this is when I started to develop my interest in distributed systems and DB systems. Um, I want to learn more about them. And that was when I started to apply for a PhD and eventually ended up with my current advisor at University of Maryland, uh, Daniel Abadi, and we are doing research in transaction processing. So great. So let, let, let's talk, let's have some background for the listener then. So can you maybe tell them about transaction processing and geodistributed databases, which, which of what DTOC is? And um, so, yeah, why, why do we need them? And what are the challenges that come with these types of systems? Yeah, sure. So uh, transaction is a very important concept in database systems. So it's the concept where you have either of the operations in the transaction to be executed successfully or none of them would be successful. And geo-distributed database is when the database is spread across different geographical regions around the world. For example, you can have a database node running in a data center in the east coast of the US, uh, another node running in the data center in Europe, and another one running in Asia. But eventually, you want to abstract away all this complexity and present the database to the applications at if the database is running on a single node. The reason why we need to geo-distribute the database is in today's world, many consumer-facing applications have users located all around the world. And it has been common for these applications to require high availability and serve low-latency requests to the users. These requirements are very hard to achieve if you only run your database in a single location. So, But additionally, this kind of setup also makes the database more resilient to regional failures because you have data in other regions for backup. The biggest challenge to this kind of setup is that you can have very high network latency on the order of 100 milliseconds due to the fact that the database nodes could be very far away from each other. And this network delay will not only impact the latency perceived by the end users, but it can also affect the throughput of the system. For example, if you use locking for concurrency control, the network delay may cause the transactions to hold the locks for a lot longer, preventing all the conflicting transactions to make progress. And therefore, it would reduce the number of transactions that you can process at a time. Awesome. Cool. So yeah, we've, we, we want these for like high availability and fault tolerance, but then obviously that comes with the, the trade-offs right there that we we, we need, with that comes with high network latency. And then like you said, we, it can degrade throughput if we don't get our, our, our scheme quite right. Cool. So with, with all these challenges in mind then, give us the elevator pitch for DTOC. Yeah. So DTOC is a geo-distributed database system that uses something called deterministic concurrency control to move this high network delay out of the contention windows of the transactions. And therefore, it can achieve high throughput for uh, strictly serializable transactions. 
But additionally, it also partitions the data across different regions, and it takes advantage of the localities uh, of uh, the workload so that users can just access data that is closest to them. Um, and we also use an, a board-free deadlock resolution protocol to reduce the latency of the transactions. Awesome. Cool. So you hit on a, you know, on a term there, deterministic databases. So what, what do you mean by this? And how does that differ from like normal, like normal non-deterministic databases, I guess, right? So yeah. Okay, sure. Um, so they talk a part of a line of research that involves this idea of using determinisms to speed up transaction processing. And the high-level idea is that um, so you would try to perform the necessary coordination among the transactions as much as possible before executing the transactions. And this way, you don't have to do these expensive coordinations during the execution of the transactions in which a long delay might increase the contention window of the transaction. So for example, let's say in a non-deterministic database system, you may use two-phase locking for concurrency control and you also want to replicate your data, right? But, but during the commit of the transaction, you have to invoke the, re the replication protocol to persist the commit record. But this replication uh, process will increase the lock holding time of your transaction and thus prevent other conflicting transactions to progress. Now, on the other hand, uh, in deterministic database system like uh, Calvin, which is published in uh, 2012, uh, you have to, an ordering layer at the very top and every transaction will be ordered in this layer. And then every node in the system will then execute these transactions in a deterministic manner following this predetermined order. So by doing this, you have min minimal to no further coordination during their executions. Uh, so, but note, note that uh, to do this pre-coordination, we need to make a, an assumption that the transactions will be sent to, this, to the system in one shot. So unlike uh, in conventional database system where you may make many back and forth trips to the base system, like you start the transaction with a begin statement and then send a couple of SQL statements and then finally send a commit to finish your transaction. Uh, in a one-shot transaction, you package all of these statements into a single request, a single request and send this request to the system. Awesome. Yeah, I, I've often wondered, whilst I've um, obviously been working in this area, how big of an assumption is that, that transactions um, are one shot and you don't have this interactive pattern of begin sending statements and then issue a commit or a bot or whatever? Like, w like, yeah, I guess, how big of an assumption is like In reality, is does that reflect the way most applications are actually developed or not? Yeah, uh, so to, to my knowledge, uh, first of all, in uh, academic, the first... I think one one of the first uh, papers that proposed this idea of using one shot for OLTP workload is uh, the paper on Edge Store, and they argue that uh, usually in OLTP workload you will have short transactions, and you you usually know ahead of time what the code for uh, the application would uh, want to send to the database, so you can just package all this into a one-shot uh, request. Uh, and in reality, uh, I, I know of some systems that use this one-shot models like Tau from Meta. It's, it's one, of, uh, one example for a system that uses one-shot uh, transaction. Nice, cool. So let's dig into the details of Detalk a little bit more then. So maybe let's kick things off with, give us another high-level overview of the, of the system architecture, then we can go into the, the, a few of the important features of, 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 of the system. Sure. 
so DTOC is deployed across multiple geographic regions. And the way you can think of these regions is that uh, the servers within one regions are connected with fast network links, but the connection across two regions can be a lot slower. Now, for every data item in the database, we assign exactly one region, which we call the home regions of the data item. And by assigning the home regions for every data item, you effectively split the database into separate partitions across different regions. So there are two types of transactions in DTOC, uh, single home transactions and multi-home transactions. A transaction is single home if all of the data items that are referred to in the transactions have the same home region. And a transaction is multi-home when its data items are from more than one home region. Uh, within each server, we structure the DTOC process as a stack of modules. So first, we have a forwarder module with the intra of forwarding, forwarding the transactions uh, among regions. In each region, we maintain a, a local input log for the transactions. So we have a sequencer module that uses a consensus protocol like multipaxels to append the transactions to this log. Uh, next, we have the log manager module that manage the local log, uh, as well as the logs that are asynchronously replicated from all other regions. Uh, and then we have a scheduler module, which will create an execution module for the transactions in the log. And finally, the transaction will be dispatched to the workers, which will execute the transactions. And as you can see, this kind of architecture match closely closely with the idea of deterministic database system where you have uh, an ordering layer on the top and then an execution layer uh, after that. Awesome. Cool. I just wanted to touch on uh, on the replication there. So you've seen that data items have a home region, every, every data items is like one distinct home region. Are, are data replicated across regions still, just that you assign, I don't know, like you say you've got three regions and some data item X and it, its home is A, is, is the, the A region. Is it replicated across B and C as well, or is it all within one region? Uh, yeah, so there are two types of replication happening here. Okay. So first, you have um, synchronous, synchronous replication, which we, which is preferably done within uh, a single, the same regions or within neighboring regions. And this replication is used for fault tolerance uh, in the case if a node in a region failed or the whole region failed. We also have another replication mechanism that is done asynchronously. So each region will asynchronously replicate their lock to other regions. Uh, however, this, this asynchronous replication mechanism is uh, optional, but we highly encourage the usage of this mechanism because it will uh, speed up the, pro the, the processing of uh, multi-home transactions, and it will also uh, provide the possibility of a snapshot read. So, so yeah, so there are, there are two types of applications in the system. Awesome, cool. Yeah, another thing that sort of jumped out to me when you were describing the architecture there, Kong, was how do I detect, how, well, how does a user, do I decide where to put certain data? How do I know to make my data item foo in this region? Like, oh, is that totally down to the, the user to express locality of where it wants that data item to be? Yeah, so we don't focus uh, a lot on like the... Uh, the decision on where to look to to place the data is it mostly up to the application to decide uh, on that. Um, we focus more on the uh, transaction processing aspect of the system. Cool. Yeah, well, that's a good segue into the the, the, the concurrency control protocol and this abort-free deterministic deadlock resolution protocol you mentioned earlier on. So, can you maybe illustrate how these how these two protocols work and 
maybe do this by another one. You walk through a life cycle of a, a transaction over a single home or a multi-home. The, the floor is yours. Take it away. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, let me walk, through, walk you through a single home, uh, how a single home transaction is processed. Let's assume that we have two regions A and B. We start from a client sending the transaction, let's call it T, to a server in region A. Uh, the first thing that this server does is that it will extract the read and write set from T. And this can be done by uh, static analysis of the transaction code. Or if this is not, if, if this is not possible, then we can send a, a read-only reconnaissance query that will perform all of the necessary reads to discover the transaction read and write set. In this case, the read and write set would be uh, speculative and T might be aborted later uh, if the read write set changed between the time that we do the reconnaissance read and when we start executing T. And with this read write set, uh, the servers can now determine whether T is a single home transaction or an, a multi home transaction by looking up uh, an index. And let's say in this example, we, uh, we assume that T is a single home. So every key in T belong to uh, one region, let's say region B, right? Now, now T will be forwarded to uh, its home region B. And then here it will be appended to the local log of that region. And at this point, the scheduler at region B will pick up T from the log and add T to the dependency graph. Okay, let's talk a bit about this dependency graph. Rem remember that we have the read and write set of every transaction at this point. So we can construct a dependency graph where each vertex corresponds to a transaction and an edge is drawn between two vertices. If the two transactions corresponding to these two vertices both access the same key and one of them write to the key. If we assume that every transaction in our system is single home, it's easy to see that this dependency graph is a directed acyclic graph or a DAG. And you can find a topological order on this graph and execute the transaction following this order. Okay, so next uh, I will talk about uh, multi-home transaction. Uh, in our example, uh, region A will asynchronously replicate its local log to B. And B will also asynchronously replicate its local log to A, as, we, as, as I mentioned previously. And... So eventually, every region will have the full set of logs from all other regions. And uh, let's go back to our example. Let's say T is a multi-home transaction. And once it is determined that it is a multi-home transaction, it will be broken down into separate single-home transactions. And these separate transactions will be sent to the respective regions. So in our case, we only have two regions, A and B. So T will be broken down into two pieces and they, and these two pieces will be sent to region A and region B. And these two single home pieces will be, again, added to the local log at these two regions. These two regions then exchange the local log asynchronously to each other. So each region will have the full copy of the local logs. And it will have all the information that it needs for T. But now when you build the dependency graph out of this set of logs, you might see cycles. Because you can have, let's say, chocolate T1, T1, T1 and T2. T1 might be ordered before T2 in A, but T2 might be ordered before T1 in B. So when you combine these two logs together, you have a cycle in the graph uh, between T1 and T2. And this is where we need our deadlock resolution protocol. The way that the, this protocol works is that it will determine a stable subgraph in this dependency graph. And this graph this subgraph has the properties that it will never change as new transactions are sent to the system because we don't want a race condition where region A see a graph 
that is different from region B, and then the two regions will resolve that lock in different way, and they will arrive at different state of the system. And we don't want that to happen. So we have an algorithm to determine a subgraph that uh, would be stable, and it would it will be consistent between the two regions. So once we we know that we we determine this subgraph, we will find all of the strongly connected components in this graph. Uh, so a strongly connected component is uh, a subgraph where uh, every vertex in this subgraph will have a path to all other vertex in the same subgraph. And uh, and this this strongly connected component is like a generalization of uh, the the cycle uh, the, to determine deadlock in in this graph. So for each of this component, we will rearrange the edges such that there will be no no cycle within this uh, component. And this uh, a simplest way to do this is just um, order the transactions by their IDs, and then you can connect them. You can connect the edge between them uh, in a linear fashion so that they, they no longer have any cycle. This has to be done deterministically so that two regions agree on the order of the transaction within a component. And now, and once you you found all of the strongly connected components in the graph, you can you can find something called the, a condensation of the graph, um, which is uh, you can think of each strongly connected component as a super vertex. And you construct them as a, to a vertex, and and you but you retain the edges between them, the original edge between them, and what you end up with is another uh, directly acyclic graph. And now on this graph, you will be able to find the topological order. So now you have two order: the order, the to, this top topological order and the order within each component. And by combining these two order, you can find the total ordering between the transactions. And this order is deterministic across regions, and you can execute the transaction following this order to achieve determinism. Awesome. So, so I'm just going to repeat this back to you to make sure I've kind of grasped what's going on. So we we asynchronously, as, or we all we kind of gather all of the logs from everybody else, basically, and we build up this sort of this graph. But the problem is the graph might have cycles in it because different people may have different transactions ordered in different ways. So the first thing we do is we'd find a stable subgraph across this, which is like everyone's going to agree that this is this this thing is stable basically. Like, this is fine, but there's still going to be some other bits that maybe aren't. So they'll be te- deterministically ordered, like essentially by like their their, their IDs. So you kind of have like so everyone agrees, then you end up with like this like these connected components basically, and then you can order the connected components. So you end up with this sort of overall total order essentially of um, transactions. Is that kind of roughly how it works? Yes, yes, the, you, you get it right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Awesome. Nice. So, so once we kind of we have we have this sort of this this nice bot free um, protocol and, and everything. There's this other sort of concept you have in in the system where you call them home movement transactions. So, kind of what are these, and how do these differ from like your single home and multi home? Are they like what's the difference between these two? Yeah. So remember that we partition the data across different regions across the world. So. The, the reason why, why we do this is to take advantage of the localities in access, uh, access patterns. So in the real world, uh, data access pattern can change. Uh, for example, in, uh, so in a social network application, you can have a user moving from one continent to the other. And, but you want to retain the benefit of data locality. So you want a mechanism to move the data from one region to another. And these these home movement transactions is one mechanism to do that without having any downtime. 
And the idea is it's pretty simple. So you can construct uh, a transactions that have a single operation that will change the the metadata of the data item from let's say region A to region B. Uh, however, the lock managers have to treat these transactions a bit differently from a normal transactions uh, because you want to prevent the race condition where some transaction might see data belongs to the old regions, but some other uh, see the data as belonging to the new regions. And this could happen during the, that data movement. And to do this, uh, when we lock the da- data item, uh, we do not only specify the ID of the data item, but we also specify the regions of the data item. And depending on where a transaction is located in the logs in relation to this whole movement transaction, we can determine whether or not to abort uh, this transaction uh, for assessing the wrong region. Awesome. Nice. So yeah, it kind of it, it sounds like as the user moves, the owner the ownership of the data can move around the system as well. That's really nice. That's a really nice feature. Cool. So um, let, let's talk about some numbers then. So how fast is Detox? So tell us about your experiments and the setup, what you compared it against, and yeah, what you found. Yeah, so we we, uh, we ran uh, the YCSB workload uh, in our experiment to, that, that is modified for uh, transactions, and we varied the amount of multi-home transactions uh, and the concession level. We compared Detox with two other uh, deterministic database systems called Slog and Calvin. And in terms of throughput, Detox performs either similar or slightly higher than these systems. But the metrics that we care more about is the latency. And we saw that most of the multi-home transactions in Detox is up to five times faster than uh, these other systems. And it's easy to see why this is the case. So both Slog and Calvin uh, spe- need to specify one region as the default region, and they have to route some or all of the transactions to this default region. And you can imagine that clients that are situated far away from these default regions have to make this trip to this default region for global ordering before it can actually access the data from the regions that it want to access. And in Detox, uh, thanks to this deterministic deadlock resolution protocol, we can completely eliminate this global ordering process. So the transactions can be sent directly to the regions that they need to access data from. Awesome. Yeah. Did you did you um, measure the, the the impact of home movement transactions? And uh, was there any sort of experiments on those as well? Like how if if you have a workload running whilst you're whilst the class, did you? I'm just going to ask you: Did you kind of simulate or kind of model uh, people moving around the globe and seeing how the impacts on performance of that of those? Yeah, that that would be a very interesting result. But we uh, unfortunately we didn't uh, do that experiment. We only describe what the uh, the whole movement transactions are in in the paper, but we yeah. didn't do any experiment on that. But that would be a, a, a nice experiment to to run in the future. Yeah, it'd be cool. It'd be interesting to see, see if that had any impact at all. I guess it'd be it'd be nice. Um, cool. Yeah. So let's talk about some some limitations of Detox then, because it sounds amazing, but these things always come with trade offs and caveats, right? So maybe you could tell us a little bit more about the scenarios, maybe in in which that Detox is performance is not. Is suboptimal and yeah, just the general limitations of this approach. Yeah, so 
as we touched on previously, so one limitation of the talk is that it does not support interactive transactions. And because we need one sort of transaction for deterministic concurrency control to work, this could be uh, quite inconvenient because you lose the ability to interleave database code with the application with the application code. But then again, we we think that this is still a reasonable assumption to make because you you can see all the system like VogueDB or Tau uh, that make the same assumption. Um, another limitation of the talk is that it's it's based on Calvin, and in Calvin it uses uh, a single thread to schedule the transactions, and this thread. Could be a bottleneck and make it harder to utilize the cores in a multi-core system. So um, it would be interesting to think about how to apply this same deadlock resolution protocol, but with other uh, deterministic concurrency control that uh, utilize like MVCC or OCC, so that we can we can we can uh, get rid of this limitation. Nice. Yeah, kind of kind of on that then. So, so how does DTOC compare to like other sort of state-of-the-art geodistry databases, be that in either academic the academic world or in the commercial world? And um, just and when when we've obviously been talking that there's this Calvin and Slog, and then there's and then there's other sort of systems that I can't remember. There was one recently out of um oh what was the pit thing called? Uh it was like a H store C uh sequel. I can't remember what the, the pit, what the system's called. Um. Uh, oh, what's it called? I'll try and find it while you're answering the question. But yes, I know there's other systems out there like, like Aria as well, which is a deterministic database, which I know addresses some of the limitations. And this, when you were talking about the the, the data moving around the system, this kind of ownership thing, it reminded me of a, a, a protocol called Zeus that I read a while back. So yeah, like how does Detox compare to these other approaches? Where do you position it in this sort of space? Yeah, so we focus on comparing with uh, other systems that support two partition uh, uh, database. So we we didn't really look into comparing to comparing with uh, Aria because it's more focused on um, single data center deployment. Uh, but we do com- we did compare with uh, CockroachDB, which is uh, which is not a deterministic database system, but it support uh, dual partitioning. And we found that when we increased the contention level uh, of the workload, CockroachDB would have an increased rate of uh, transaction abort due to deadlock. Um, and this is because CockroachDB used a uh, two-phase commit and um, some sort of uh, locking mechanism for uh, for the right operation in the transactions. And it had to detect uh, deadlocks and aborts uh, the transactions to uh, break the, this deadlock, and since the the talk does not abort uh, any transaction due to the deadlock, it it can sustain a much higher le- higher level of throughput. Um, additionally, the talk uh, supports strict serializable transactions, uh, but the highest level isolation level of CockroachDB is uh, serializable. But again, one caveat is that CockroachDB supports interactive transactions. It it is still an, an amazing database system, and and but but we we believe that uh, our assumption would not be too restrictive for OLTP application, and if the application uh, had the characteristic that can be supported by Detalk, then I think it's it's still a a, re- a good choice for uh, a database system. 
Cool, yeah. I mean, the, the ability to, especially in a geodistribute geo deployment, right, of, of, of having no bots is like a massive win because the wasted work that goes for having a bots and it like, yeah, it, it, yeah. So no, I can see why it has, it has a massive win there. The system I was thinking of that was recent, it was called Lotus. I don't know if you've seen that paper. It was a VLDB paper. Oh, yeah. It's just a very recent paper. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I have that paper, but uh, I, I think Lotus, again, uh, only. Uh, consider the case of a single data center, single region deployment. Right. Uh, okay. Yeah. 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 So they haven't gone. They haven't gone geo distributed. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. So awesome. So what's next on your research agenda for Detox? Then. So what's the next steps? Right now, uh, I'm working on a different project uh, unrelated to Detox. So we don't have a specific plan for uh, extending the research on Detox. But uh, some of the ideas that I found interesting is uh, that, as I said before, uh, to see if we can combine different uh, deterministic concurrency control protocol with this deadlock resolution protocol so that we can avoid uh, any current shortcomings of the talk. Nice. Yeah, because I guess the, the University of Maryland is, is the home of deterministic databases, right? Like it was your advisor's original idea. So um, I guess there'll be there'll be more research to keep keep coming out of it on, on the, on the, on, in this sort of, um, yeah, on this sort of topic. So now I look forward to, to reading that great stuff. So yeah, so kind of, again, more generally sort of speaking here, as a software developer, data engineer, DBA, how, how do you think we, I can leverage the, the findings of, of your research and kind of what impact do you think your work with Detox can have? I guess one way to leverage this research is if you want to build a new database system and if your requirements match with the transaction model that Detox can work on, then certainly there yeah, you can you have this new option for your implementation. Or even if you have a spe- specific problems and it happens to match with the problem that the talk is trying to solve, then you can use the, the techniques uh, presented in the paper to solve your problem. And we also open source our code. So uh, you are welcome to reuse the code uh, in your work. Awesome, nice. We'll, we'll drop a link in the show notes to that so the, the interested listener can go and can go and find that for sure. Cool. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, um, while, while you've been working on Detox, has there any been anything that's jumped out to you? have been like, oh, this is like the most interesting thing I've learned while working on this project. Um, I, I think, yeah, m- most of the things that I learned was uh, related to the software engineering aspect of like when building a system. Uh, and one one. I think I got two big lessons I learned from from this project, and one is is you should instrument your code with uh, observability tools early on. Um, it helped a lot in finding performance bugs and uh, just generally understand your system better. I I didn't do this uh, in the early stage of my project, so I have to spend countless time trying to figure out why something uh, was too slow or why some things is not behaving the way that we want it to be. And the second lesson is that uh, cross-region requests in AWS are very expensive. <laughs> uh, so in my first few experiments, <laughs> I was very generous with uh, sending cross-region messages across regions, and I ended up with a quite hefty bill. Oh, my advisor wasn't <laughs> very happy with that. Uh, so I have to be more thrifty with that, and um, that brings down the costs of oh, the experiments. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, on the on the first point you made there about the uh, the observability. I mean, I've I've fallen into that same trap before as well. And you just kind of you think, oh, what I need it's fine, just hacking away, da, 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 developing, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, I need to figure out what's going wrong here. And then you've exactly. got no way of observing it. And it's yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, yeah. It's cool. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, kind of, I mean, maybe loosely related to that. Then um, 
was there like a few things you tried along the way with the development of Detox or maybe the, the idea or the actual implementation and things that failed and yeah kind of maybe some war stories about this this process you went through with Detox? Yeah so I think that the the only thing that we tried uh, a couple of times is the implementation of the deadlock resolution protocol itself. Um, in our very first revision, we use a, a single thread, I mean, a single graph that is shared between different threads. And this is a very bad idea because uh, every time you want to modify this graph, because, you know, in, in our protocols, we need to rearrange the edges and all that. Um, you have to acquire lock uh, on this graph and that's just bring down the, the performance of the whole system. And... Uh, in the end, we end up with we end up with an implementation where each thread, actually, there are only two threads here, uh, that will build their own graph, and so they don't have any contention over the the entire graph, and they will share the the information about like what to change on the graph by using a message queue. Okay, nice, nice call. Yeah, I see. So, I, yeah, just sort of, I guess. You mentioned it a second ago about that you're no longer working on on, on Detalk. You're on a different project. Maybe you can tell the listener a little bit about that project and maybe something about your other research. So uh, as part of the research on uh, deterministic database system, uh, we are working on a project where we investigate the practicalities of this deterministic database system in real application. And we do this by looking at the code of a bunch of open source projects uh, on GitHub and just study their transaction code, uh, write down like what the uh, what match with the assumption that uh, we need to make in database system and what what not. And um, the, the second project I'm working on is uh, it's another geo distributed database projects, but it's not uh, a deterministic debate system. Uh, but we look into supporting geo-distributed transactions on existing single-node database system. Ah, nice. So is that sort of, um, what, what, what are these systems you look at? Are they like cloud-based systems you're looking at? And like kind of, I don't know, taking something like Aurora or one of these systems? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's also, it's, it's, it's actually uh, Aurora. It's actually the, the Aurora-like architecture. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah, because I mean, yeah, sorry, continue. Yeah, because uh, Aurora's right now is only deployed in a single region. So Mm. we we want to take it a step further and see if we can support uh, geo distributed uh, transaction for this kind of systems. Nice, nice. And obviously, Aurora is always like single writer, right? You only have one node writer. It's it's sort of like, can you make this multi? multi-writer, multi, and I actually, yeah, no, there's, 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 there's a lot of, I read an interesting paper at Cider, actually. I actually had a, um, to, to be us on the show who talked about um, that sort of stuff. But interesting to see how those two, how that project comes along. Nice, for sure. Cool. Yeah, great. Yeah, so my, my I've got just two more questions for, for you now. And the, the penultimate one is, is tell me a little bit more about your creative process. So how do you go about generating these ideas and these really cool projects you work on? And then actually like filtering out the ones to pursue so yeah, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, so uh, as a student, I'm still uh, figuring it out myself. And obviously, my advisors is one a great source of uh, ideas and uh, things that I might be able to work on because he has a, a, a broader view of uh, what is going on in the industry or in the in, in this area. Um, but one approach that I am uh, experimenting with is to look into the gap between research and what's happening on the real world. 
and ask what are the obstacles that prevent this research to be applied to the real world. And about selecting what projects to work on, uh, I try to evaluate the implication of solving each of these problems, and then choose the one that have that would make the most impact. Nice. That sounds a really nice process. I can see how that how that works. It's really cool. Um, awesome. Cool. Yeah. So it's it's time for the the last the last question now. The last word. So, what's the one takeaway you want the listener to get from this podcast today? A key takeaway uh, from this work is deterministic concurrent control provide a framework for minimizing the overhead of coordination within a transaction, and this work on DTALK uh, once again highlights the viability of this framework in improving the performance of geo-distributed transactions. Um, and additionally, I believe that there are still more opportunities to explore within this framework, and I hope to see future work that addresses any current limitations of the frameworks, as well as works that uh, would try to integrate the techniques from this framework in the real systems. Fantastic. Let's let's end it there then. Thanks so much, Kong, for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed this conversation. If the listener is interested, interested in knowing more about his work, we'll put links or anything in the show notes. And again, a reminder, if you enjoyed the show, please consider supporting us through Buy Me A Coffee. And we'll see you all next time for some more awesome computer science research.